Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. 1996, 25 years ago today, as CBS reported, the Centennial Park Olympic bombing took place. They went after Richard Jewell. I would like to point out it was Louis Free's FBI that did that. Some people make a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. I'll leave it at that. Time now for our play-by-play call of the day. King is behind. Schumacher is a bubble in lane four with a slight lead. And then you've got Jacoby, Jacoby up there in lane three. Jacoby. Challenging Schumacher. We've got 10 meters left. Lydia Jacoby, the 17-year-old from Alaska, is putting on the surge of her career. And Lydia Jacoby is going to win gold for the United States. Not exactly your hotbed of swimming. Uh, no, that's... Uh... Andrew McCutcheon's three-run walk-off was pretty cool, too, last night. We'll get to that. Well, we're going to play that one, too? (laughs) We'll play it in a little bit. I'm spreading the wealth here. Oh, oh, the ball went out. They won. Okay. Uh, I think (laughs) I just recapped it perfectly. All right. Here we go. This is a pretty cool moment. Did you see all of our classmates at our high school? Like just going I, nuts and I, I, Matt, I saw none of it. I, oh, it was it was I, I, tremendous. Saw, I saw none of it. I I the only night I've watched so far was I watched um, women's gymnastics qualifying on Sunday night for an hour and a half. That's all I've seen. I haven't seen anything else at the Olympics so far. I went out played golf last night. Then went out and took care of some stuff. After that, came home, watched a, about an hour of TV, and went to sleep. Tonight I got a game. Tomorrow I got a game. Thursday I got a game. Um, so far, uh, it, it, and this look, this is just me. I mean, anybody who loves it loves it. I think that you know, I'm not going to put down what anybody loves, not in the least. But I, I didn't see it. You know, and I'm not going to watch tonight only because I mean tonight. I mean, like I said, I've got a game tonight. I'm not going to be home till after ten this evening. So I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I I'm absolutely thrilled for her, completely thrilled for her, and for Alaska and for you know her hometown. And I think that's really really cool. It's a really terrific story. That's it's what I got. 
No, that's and again, fair. I'm not. I'm not doing it because I. Uh, I'm not watching because I mean, just but. I really didn't watch much of Rio, and I didn't watch much of London, and I didn't watch much of Beijing. Why? Because they all occurred during Spike's baseball season. I had games. That's the only reason, just like with the Winter Olympics. I don't really watch a lot of the Winter Olympics because I've got Penn State basketball, and I have my own stuff to do. Uh, When I have some free time, I watch. I just haven't had a lot of free time, that's all. It has zero, zero to do with how I feel about the Olympics. Zero. This is not a, oh, he's anti-Olympic. No, I'm, it just, it's just all about time, that's all. And I think over the years, people have listened, you know, and listening to me, you know, or, you know, and when I mean listening to me, hey, I heard you were in Minneapolis last night. Hey, I heard you were in Columbus last night. You know, everybody knows I'm busy a lot with doing play-by-play work because that's, that's what I do. And by the way, I love every second of it. I'm so fortunate I love my job. I mean, if you gave me a choice, with all due respect, of announcing a Spikes game tonight and watching the Olympics, I'd rather announce the Spikes game tonight because I love announcing sports. It's really as simple as that. So... And then there are some other people that they really have nothing to live for. But we'll get to the suits issues later. S-U-I-T, that spells suit <laughs> I know, he, he loves it. He's been heavily involved in it. Heavily involved in it. I mean, it, again, this weekend, now this weekend, I might. This weekend, I might. You know, because I, you know, I've got, I've got a wedding to go to on Saturday. Uh, Bob Taylor, you hear me mention Bob's name on the Penn State broadcast as our engineer for football and basketball. Bob's getting married. All right. So, so um, Dick Girardi and I are going. Uh, we're we're going to the wedding. Jack can't go because he's going he and Joanne are going to another wedding. So Jack had to send his regrets because they they already were committed to another wedding. But so I mean so I'll be doing that. Sunday I've got some free time. Monday I've got some free time. Tuesday uh Jack and I are going to play some golf. Wednesday we've got Purdy. And when Purdy's over with, I mean I have to drive home. See, so you you know you can't you can't really you know what I mean you can't really get into what's going on. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I did watch some sports last night, and it's like the Red Sox were playing Toronto, so I watched the last three innings of that game when I got home last night. It was just for me on a personal interest was what I was personally interested in watching. I mean, if the Yankees were on versus the Olympics, what would you watch? Seriously. Well, I would have put the Yankees on only because I don't yeah. get to see them as often living here in central Pennsylvania. Right. 
So I, I would definitely – I would be flipping back and forth, but pr- first priority would be the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on what you're, you know, what you're doing, what your personal taste is at the moment. Yeah. And it has nothing to do at all with anti-Olympics. Nothing. Zero. I think the Olympics are great. I think the athletes are incredible. And – you know, I mean, we talked about Simone Biles earlier. I, you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't think we could have handled that any better. Or graciously, talking about Simone Biles, and hopefully she'll be fine and we'll be able to uh, compete in the um, in the individuals, individual finals. I hope that happens. Just. And some days, quote, you don't have it. She understood that. And by going out there, I think she may have been risking injury with some of the uh, elements that she does, which are beyond what anybody else does. And But as you're not going to find me being critical of the Olympics. Yeah. Now, can I be critical of know how the US basketball team is playing. Yeah, that's that's talking about the game or whatever. And I think this US basketball team to be frank with you is really struggling to adapt to how Greg Popovich wants to play, especially his offense. I think it needs to be a little bit different and a little bit looser than some of the structure he's got out there for them right now. But that's my opinion watching it. But that's my, I mean, my reason for, my reasons for so far only seeing limited stuff in the Olympics are being busy. I mean, Sunday I did have a game too, but the game I was done by, I was back home by 8, eight o'clock on Sunday night, so I did watch some of it. And she really wanted to watch the gymnastics. Great, I'll watch. So that's what we did. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma officially applied for membership in the Southeastern Conference today. Now it's a question of the SEC going through its process. I believe their presidents and chancellors, I believe, meet Thursday. Is that correct? Correct. We just don't know what time yet. Right. They have applied for... SEC membership no later than July 1, 2025. When it comes to expansion or with any business move, I always say be bold, be smart. But when people hear me see, see uh, hear me say be bold, be smart, Bold sometimes is the ability and the inner strength to look around and say, you know what? We're good where we are. When the world is telling you you have to do something. That's a bold decision, too. That you feel that you are in a good spot where you are. Well, it's a safe decision. Now, sometimes that's a bold decision. 
the other the element you cannot do in all of this in any in any decision making the worst decisions are made in haste and the worst decisions are made in panic can't be hasty you can't panic I think you need to be smart and gather all the information and then look around and say you know what this is what we think is best it could be zero it could be two it could be six I you know I wouldn't go six that's too much to manage let me give you an example the SEC is 14 Texas A&M began playing in the Southeastern Conference in 2012. This will be their 10th season playing SEC football. How many times have they played Georgia? Matt's now racking his brain. Ah. I'll give you the answer once. Hmm. That's that's a conference. I mean, I don't like how the Big Ten does it, where Penn State over over recent years because they decided to do this informal crossover game. I mean, Penn State's played Iowa almost every single year to the point where Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, Jack, and I kid around with each other wondering if we're in the same division. I am a major proponent of playing everybody, which means, when I mean everybody, I've always felt that, okay, pick three schools. I'll just do it in any random order, so don't don't try to pick up on degree of difficulty here. The first two years you play uh, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, home and away. Second three years you play Wisconsin, Northwestern, Illinois, home and away. Beginning in the fifth year, you play Purdue and then go back to a combination of of two of the first three you played. That way, in a span of five years, you will have played everybody. In a span of six years, you would have played everybody home and away. I don't understand why the Big Ten doesn't do that. I've never understood that. To me, that promotes a conference at that point. That promotes everybody playing everybody at that point. That's how I view it. I've always felt that way. I didn't like this designated and they all rotate. Like, all of a sudden, Minnesota's on for one year. Uh Uh-oh, Nebraska's on for a year. I mean, no, 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 no. I've never liked how they did that. At least in basketball. At least in basketball. You do rotate around with who you play home and away and so forth. Football doesn't do that, and and I've always felt they needed to do that. Now you expand out, and now you have 20 teams. How are you going to do that? How are you going to feel like you're a part of a conference where 
Penn State and USC maybe play each other once or twice over a 10-year period. That's not feeling like you're in the same boat together. Here's another part, too. Left out of a lot of this discussion is always the fan is left out of this. So let's go back to the spring. Remember when they tried to put together the super conference in soccer and the fans essentially revolted and stopped it? You know, what are the fans? I mean, there have been a lot of elements where the fan has been left out of this. This is great, except it. So Kansas no longer plays Missouri in basketball. Texas no longer plays Texas A&M in anything. That's about to change, obviously. And by the way, I think I'll give you a, uh, an interesting take on this. I think Texas A&M will vote yes. I think you'll find the vote will be 14 nothing. Texas A&M will vote yes. Once the emotion gets out of the room, I think you at that point, how do we not look bad in this? Okay. And you can be too big. Now, when I talk to the students in my class, and I ask them, for example, when they were, when when Penn State was playing Pitt, do you consider Pitt a rival? There's a one student in the class put their hand up. None. You can kill rivalries. Oklahoma and Nebraska were the last game of the season on Thanksgiving for years and years and years of the Big Eight. But then when they went to the Big 12, they put them in different divisions, which meant there was a period of time they had to rotate off each other's schedule because of divisional play. You can kill rivalries even within a conference, and they're both members of the conference. There's always that triangle, management, athletes, and the forgotten part, the ones that actually make the engine go, and that's the fans. All right. Take a break. I'm back with more in a moment. Great to have you with us today. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 
Hand ready. Looks at first. He kicks. Here's the pitch. Cutch swings. Hits it in the air to right. It's deep. Soto looking up. He's looking up. And it is gone! Yes. The Phillies have won it. Is Andrew McCutcheon on opposite field. Walk-off homer! 6-5 the final as Kutch has won it! Andrew McCutcheon with his eighth career walk-off homer. It's the third of the year for the Phillies. Is he from Alaska? <laughs> that was for just for you. It's a great moment. It is a good moment. It's a big win for the Phillies. Absolutely. They're a game over 500 now. You hate when I'm realistic. <laughs> but I think they're what the only two teams over 500, right? In the in the division? Yes, they're still three and a half back, I think. All right. All right. So in the next half hour, Dave Zagaro from NBC Sports Philly will talk about the Eagles training camp as they try to not finish in fifth place. Oh, that's right. They can't finish in fifth. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no? Are you even going to watch the games this year? Is that even a question? Yes. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Q, routes 11 and 15, almost Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great new inventory. Best in pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. From NBC Sports, Philly, Dave Zagaro with us. Dave, welcome back. Great to have you with us on this July day. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So, off to camp we go. Hi-ho, hi-ho. <laughs> uh, so, after Jalen Hurts which is the obvious answer. What are you going to look for? Yeah, that's the obvious answer. Uh, next to me is the battle at left tackle. Uh, I know that offensive line doesn't get a lot of people excited, but this is a legitimate battle. I mean, this is – and it's – I mean, the storylines here are, are a lot of fun. You have a former first-round pick who a lot of people are already counting out who missed all of last season against a seventh-round pick – who is, was a rugby player when the Eagles drafted him, has all the potential in the world. And that battle kind of feels like it's a battle not just for the left tackle job this year, but going forward. It, it kind of feels like whoever wins this job is the Eagles' left tackle. And there aren't many competitions, training camp battles that are really like that. So for me, Andre Dillard versus Jordan Mailata is must-see every day. What do you need to see from Jalen Rager? during the preseason because obviously last year as a first round pick it just wasn't a terrific year so what do you want to see 
Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I I think with with Jalen Rager, a lot of it was mental, and and that's not a knock on him. He's a young kid coming into right. a, a tough situation, but um, I, I think it can kind of go one of two ways with him. We know he reads stuff. We know he's active on, online and on Twitter, and he he knows what people are saying about him. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I know everyone's first initial reaction to that is block it out, don't listen to it. Some guys use it. And, and I think for him, it, it's really about channeling it the correct way. And if he can do that, then I, I think he can make it a positive. And I just want to see him play looser. Last year, it just looked like he wasn't himself. He wasn't the dynamic, explosive player he was at TCU. And it looked like he was kind of overthinking at times and that happens a lot with young players where they're they're thinking more than they're reacting thinking more than they're allowing their ability to shine through so some of this is also incumbent on the coaching staff to say hey we want to get this guy involved we need to do this this and this and now Nick Sirianni has to look at it and figure out ways to get Jalen Rager involved if that means a shallow crosser so be it. That means the wide receiver screen just ways to get the ball in his hands and let him create, let him feel comfortable. I think that'll go a long way. So it's not all on Jalen Rager. I think most of it is, but the coaching staff can help him out a little bit more this year, too. You can grow into any job. Uh, sometimes there's an adjustment period. Nick Sirianni has not been a head coach. What are some of the signs that you'll be looking for that he's really uh, into the job understands the job or the signs that it, there's some on-the-job training because he hasn't done it before? Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of those things we won't be able to see until the actual season begins. I mean, right. a big part of the head coach's responsibility is, is in-game management, and we really won't see that in the preseason because he's going to handle situations differently than he would in the regular season. But there are some things we'll see. I mean, and, and honestly, we've already seen some of them. You know, the uh, the high-energy stuff that some people might have rolled their eyes at, It so far it seems like at least a lot of his veteran players are buying into that, and that's a big deal. I, I think that when you hear about how excitable he is and you hear him in press conferences talk, and uh, obviously the first one, that's a mulligan. But after that, I think people in the, in the area have kind of really enjoyed hearing him talk because he is so excited and he has such a passion. From what I hear, that's really kind of translated to his team, and they feel it too. So I think that goes a long way, as long as he's authentic about it, to kind of taking command of the team. So far, so good there. Um, and you kind of have to separate a head coach into a lot of different facets because they're not just one thing. Uh, he's going to be calling plays too, and we won't really know that until game day. But we'll see some of the offense, and we'll see his plan for – for what the scheme looks like, and that's another big part of his job. So I think that by the end of training camp, we'll have a better sense of who he is as a head coach, but not the complete picture. Do you have a sense of his relationship with Jalen Hurts, or does that fall into what you just said we'll see by the end of camp? Yeah, I mean, so far, so good for that, honestly, from everything I've heard. Um, And look, Jalen Hurts last year was – forced into an offense, obviously a really awkward position, but he was in an offense that wasn't tailored to his strengths, and that's the one thing we've heard from Nick Sirianni since he took the job, was that whoever the quarterback is, and and whoever any any of the players are, 
the offense is going to be tailored around their their skills. So I'm excited for Jalen Hurts for that because I, I want to see what kind of offense Nick Sirianni has devised for him. And we can take certain hints from Indianapolis, mainly when Jacoby Brissett was their quarterback because he right. offered a little bit with his legs. And Andrew Luck to a certain extent, too. Uh, but there, there's a lot to like about Jalen Hurts. There's a lot to build on. There's a lot to, um, to kind of put into your offense because of what he brings. And I think he does obviously have some deficiencies, and, and it's up to the head coach to try to hide those as well. So um, I think the relationship is off to a good start, but I want to see the football relationship now. I want to see what these two can do together in, in a, at least a practice setting and eventually in a game setting. Jalen Hurts has gone through, what, four games as a starter, some limited time in other games. So as we watch the first month to six weeks of the season, Jalen Hurts will be better if, well, what will that be? Based on what you saw last year, where does he need to be better and something we should look for in the first six weeks? Yeah, and it's funny because the first thing I thought of wasn't even anything that he can control, but... Honestly, it starts if his offensive line stays upright. That'll help him out quite a bit. Right. No question. I mean, that was kind of no the, question. That was kind of the downfall of the offense last year, in, in my estimation. It wasn't. I mean, Carson certainly didn't play well, and, and the receivers weren't good enough. But when the offensive line started to get hurt, that's really where things started to spiral. Jalen Hurts himself, uh, he, he needs to be a better thrower. And I know that sounds like a, a pretty obvious thing. He needs to be a better passer. He needs to be more accurate. And there were some factors that led to his accuracy issues last year. I mean, he was throwing the ball downfield quite a bit. And he, and he had the same receivers Carson had. That You know, they weren't always running the Christmas routes. They weren't always where they were supposed to be. And I think all those things hurt him. But Hurts has to be better. He knows he has to be better. He, even with all those factors, you can't have a quarterback completing 52% of his passes. You're not going to win like that. Um, but it can be corrected. We've seen quarterbacks have bad accuracy numbers and improve them. Heck, Carson did it. You know, even as good as his near MVP season was, the one thing he wanted to work on was the accuracy, and he improved it greatly in the next year. Josh Allen's another great example. Had some accuracy issues early in his career, really turned them around. So, I think that it, it, these are correctable issues, and we'll see if he's put the work in and if the team around him allows him to do it. Yeah, my only issue on that, Dave, is simple. I mean, watching him in Alabama and Oklahoma, it's the same issue he's having now. He was not really a tremendously accurate quarterback uh, at either place, especially when he got some pressure on him. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see if he can correct that. I haven't asked you about the defense. So... On defense, must be better where? Uh, well, it must be better at that cornerback position, uh, yep. specifically the second cornerback. And, and the Eagles have addressed it finally, bringing in Steven Nelson. It's a big signing for a lot of reasons, and the first of which is that Steven Nelson is a clear upgrade at that position from Avante Maddox, who was playing out of position last year and, and wasn't very good at that spot, frankly. Uh, the other reason it's good is because it's going to push Maddox back into the nickel spot where I think he is much better suited. I think he's going to be a much better player at, at the at the slot and playing inside. He, obviously, the size lends itself to that, but also the type of player he is, I think he's just a better inside corner. And then Zach McPherson, 
the rookie fourth-round pick, they'll be able to bring him along slower because chances are they're going to need him at some point based on the injuries we've seen in the secondary over the last few years. So um, there are a lot of reasons that I really like the Steven Nelson signing, a lot of reasons it made sense for a couple months. So them getting that done is a pretty big boost if they go to the training camp. Yeah, I like Zach, uh, you know, because he was, he was here for a couple of years. And the only reason he ended up going to Texas Tech was because of a numbers game here. I mean, it's just the, the mm-hmm. numbers were so great, the upward mobility wasn't there. And I, you know, and I was thrilled to see the Eagles pick him. You're gonna, you're gonna like him. He's a great guy to talk to, deal with. Uh, yeah. Okay. In the preseason, when they play the three preseason games, you and I both know it's just a mixed bag. Uh, but what will be the, anything that you're looking for? Maybe a guy as to whether he can make the team, or somebody who might get cut, or just is there what? Is there anything in those three three preseason games that you'll look for, even loosely, so you feel like it was productive? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think the preseason games will show some of that. Honestly, the joint practices to me are, Agreed. I'd argue, more important than the Agreed. preseason games because if you want to see how someone responds in the red zone in a practice you can put them in the red zone where you don't have to wait for a situation to unfold but the preseason games will be a part of the evaluation and uh, there is something different about playing a game as opposed to practice there are some guys who kind of flip a switch and they're just different um, in a game than in practice so I think it gives more opportunities for some of those players to show out and that's a good thing and I think you know some players Thrive, You know, if you think about it just in, in a generic sense, if you have some bruising running back who runs between the tackles, that, that can be an important player, but he's not going to get to show his stuff, even in a, a joint practice. Even if you go full pads, tackle to the ground for a session, you're not getting that in, in practice. So I, I still think the preseason games are a valuable part of the evaluation. I don't know how long we're going to stick at three games. I think eventually we're probably going to, push it down to two, but I still think there, there is value in having them. And I think the Eagles will find the value in that. I, I think that actual competition, uh, as much as we laugh about preseason games, I, I still think there's value in it. Dave, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. You guys take care. Dave Zagaro, NBC Sports Philly, with a sober report on your team. But right on point. I found it, it was sobering. <laughs> I am excited to see Zach McPherson, too. He's uh, Zach, one of the top yeah. players that I'll be looking out for in camp. He, I can't wait to see him. Zach is a just a terrific kid. He really is. Brother Josh. His brother Josh interned with us over at Channel 3. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. I got all sorts of connections. Of yeah. course. Yeah, this for some reason, all the connections deny they ever saw me. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. <laughs> Great to have you with us today. We'll answer the uh, online question from Jim in San Francisco in a moment. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Voters. You know, I asked the suit about like having another language, and he he, he asked his slang qualified. I, just so sad. Ah. 
I mean, I get answers that, that just look around. You know. We just want like when as soon as he gives you an answer, don't you like beg inside yourself that the conversation ends? All right, all right. So get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. <laughs> all right. So uh, Jim asked this question. Okay, we'll skip past the part where he asked about me retiring. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, my almighty! Just kidding. He didn't ask that. Appreciated your points last week. The Big Ten doesn't have to overreact to Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. But then I began to hear speculation that the SEC was interested in poaching Ohio State and Michigan, which would truly make the landscape of college football unrecognizable. Interesting article by Andy Staples about the Big Ten acting boldly and attempting to add six Pac-12 teams, which would essentially leave us with two power conferences. We'd love to hear your thoughts, Jim, in San Francisco, in parentheses, future Big Ten country. <laughs> and by the way, I read Andy's article. It's on The Athletic. Number one, I'll go back to what I said earlier in the show. Sometimes being bold means you don't overreact you don't just do something for the sake of doing it so you have to do a couple things number one don't panic the worst decisions are made when you panic number two be proactive and get and gather information as quickly as possible to make sure you then have the ability to make the right decisions. You know, Kansas wants to join, gather all the information on them. Colorado wants to join, gather the information on them. Iowa State wants to gather the information. You want to make sure that certain standards are met. AAU status has always been important to the Big Ten. Kansas, Colorado, and Iowa State are all AAU members. Let me then tell you who is not. Oklahoma State is not. West Virginia is not. Notre Dame is not. Although the world says they'd make an exception for Notre Dame, but I'm just pointing out they aren't. Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, all are not. Okay, so West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, excuse me, TCU, Baylor, all and Kansas State, by the way. Kansas State isn't either. They are not AAU members. Who is? Iowa State, Colorado, Kansas, Utah, Arizona, USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Washington. They're all members of the AAU. So, again, who's not? Hey, Notre Dame is not. West Virginia is not. Again, Notre Dame is probably in a separate category, but I want to at least factually mention they aren't. Notre Dame is not. West Virginia is not. Oklahoma State is not. Kansas State is not. TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, all know. Arizona State is not. Washington State is not. Oregon State is not. 
Okay? So I just want to at least give you a, like, in terms of weeding out the pros and cons here of who is and who isn't. Because I think that plays a factor. I think that plays a factor in the thought process that the Big Ten has shown over the years. That when they've invited somebody, that that entity has been an AAU member at the time. Now, I think Nebraska is going to get back in from what you're reading. It sounds like Nebraska has worked out whatever issue to get back in. But I only bring that up because it's been a factor in past Big Ten moves. And I think it would be foolish to discount it as a factor. So that's why I bring it up. The key is who is. Kansas, Colorado, Iowa State. Yep. Arizona, Utah. USC, UCLA. Stanford, Cal, Oregon, Washington. They are. Others we keep, you know, you know, people keep mentioning others along the way. They just aren't. And that's what's so interesting about this. Um, a lot of people don't. I think that is how they operate. Years ago, when Jim Delaney was looking at schools. It was Virginia, what, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina he was looking at. Well, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Virginia are all AAU members. So I'm just trying to give everybody an outline of what to think about pro and con. That's why Texas, Oklahoma. Texas is an AAU member. Oklahoma is not. I'm not saying how I would operate it, but I'm telling you how the Big Ten has operated over time, and that has been a factor in the invitation process.